Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, today I want to talk about how the governments of the world are basically in cahoots with one another uh, to cover up the UFO and extraterrestrial reality phenomenon. And this has been going on since at least the 1950s. Um, I'm going to start with uh, some uh, some uh, information that you could find in a book written by British UFO investigator Timothy Good. He's actually written some very good books on this subject. And the book I'm uh, going to refer to is uh, Need to Know uh, the UFOs, the Military, and Intelligence by Timothy Good. It's an excellent book. Um, I highly recommend it uh, if you're interested in this subject. But uh, we know. Uh, based on a lot of different reports from different people from across the world that uh, they're all in cahoots. Um, and uh, at least since at least the 1950s. Uh, and I don't know, I, I, I'm wondering who the lead is on this. I would imagine it's probably the United States of America. They're probably the, the lead on this. But I, I believe that there's like majestic 12 type groups within a lot of different governments of the world. Uh, a lot of the allies and of the United States as well as NATO members. Uh, I'm sure that there's some sort of uh, gr individual groups uh, within those governments um, that uh, know what's going on and uh, are have for years uh, helped to cover it up help to keep this information from the public and uh in timothy good's book uh need to know i'm gonna uh from on pages 233 and 234 i'm gonna read something here uh this was uh there was a, a guy named uh dr alevo fontes and uh dr fontes uh, in a letter, he was the representative at the time for, uh, the, for the Brazilian representative for the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, also known as APRO. And uh, it was a major worldwide UFO organization founded by Coral Lorenzen in 1952. In a long letter to Lorenzen in February of 1958, Fontes revealed a great deal of information provided to him unofficially by Brazilian Air Force and Navy intelligence officers anxious to obtain Fontes's collaboration. Relevant to UFO hostility, for example, Fontes learned the following during a meeting with two Navy sources. We have already lost 
Many planes attempting to shoot down one of them. We have no defense against them. They outperform easily any of our fighters. Guided missiles are also useless. They can fly still faster than any of them and can even maneuver around them as if they were toys. Or they can interfere with their electronic instruments and make them useless soon after launch. Or, if they like, they can explode them before they reach their target. They have caused the crash of military planes, propeller or jet type and airliners by stalling their engines through interference with their electric systems we don't know yet if this is a side effect of their powerful magnetic field or the result of some kind of weapon possibly a high frequency beam of some sort they have also a horribly destructive long-range weapon which has been used mercilessly on our fighters in one case for example a united states navy interceptor with a crew of two was scrambled to go after a ufo their mission was as usual to make it land or to shoot it down if necessary they used their guns the answer was immediate and terrifying instantly all metallic parts of their plane were disintegrated integrated into thousands of fragments and they found themselves suddenly seated in the air non-metallic pieces or objects weren't effective one of them was killed but the other lived to tell the story we have evidence that this tremendous weapon is an ultrasonic beam of some sort which disrupts the molecular cohesion of any metallic structure they have means to paralyze our radar systems too to interfere with our radios and television and to short circuit our electric power plants there is an exchange of information through intelligence services and top secret conferences are held periodically to discuss new developments fontas was told the Brazilian Navy, for example, receives monthly classified reports from the United States Navy and sends back to them any information available. Here in Brazil, only the persons who work on the problem know the real situation. Intelligence officers in the Army, Navy, and Air Force, some high-ranking officers in the high command, the National Security Council, and a few scientists whose activities are connected with it, and a few members of certain civilian organizations doing research for military projects all information about the ufo subject from the military is not only classified or reserved for official use it is top secret civilian authorities and military officers in general are not entitled to know even our president is not informed of the whole truth truth in this regard dr fontes was informed by the brazilian navy intelligence sources about the state of play at that time and this is what he said this is what he said in his letter Military authorities throughout the world are agreed that the people are not entitled to know anything about the problem. Some military groups believe that such knowledge would be a tremendous shock, enough to paralyze the life in our countries for many years. The probability of hostile UFO interference is still estimated as 90%. There is a 10% probability that their hostility is only a consequence of our attacks against their ships. Because of this possibility, we are attempting now to make them aware that we would like to make a peaceful contact. So the orders now are to avoid any further attacks against their craft. This policy has been adopted generally, with the exception of some countries which still have fools in their air forces who think otherwise. Now, 
Oh, I highly recommend this book, Need to Know by Timothy Good. I'll leave a link for it in the description for any anyone who's interested in expanding their knowledge on this. But there's a lot to break down there. First, uh, before we get into the, the, the fact that the governments of the world are in cahoots, as is, and this is going on obviously for a long time. And this this letter was written in 1958, so you could imagine how long this has been going on. As you know, since at least the 1950s, that there's been some sort of agreements made between different countries of the world with regard to uh, UFOs and the extraterrestrial reality. There's no question about it. Uh, and of course, the reasoning uh, uh, you see their reasoning. They think that uh, people would basically go ape over this. Um, so. Uh, but it's interesting the the story there that basically you can imagine there's two two, two people uh, according to Font Doctor Fontes in that letter two people are flying in a in a <laughs> in a jet and next thing you know uh, they're shot at by some weapon and they're all the metal of that that made made the their their jet fighter disintegrated and they're flying in air seated in air and apparently one of them probably looks like one of them fell to his death and the other one. Maybe obviously, if he survived, the his parachute worked. Uh, but could you imagine? I mean, that sounds like something out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, that kind of ability. So, see that this has been going on for a long time, obviously. But you could see that uh, you know information like this, like this kind of letter, like this person was approached. This Doctor Fontes was approached at some point in the fifties by. Uh, members of the Brazilian Air Force and Navy asking, you know, if they wanted him to, to, to you know, to help them, you know, study this, I guess. Uh, and this kind of information was relayed to him. And so uh, what, what, what this goes to show is that there obviously is uh, a cooperation between governments on this whole problem on the whole ufo problem and it's, it's been going on for decades now i mean we know i mean for instance in fact in another case in brazil uh was uh from 1996 i mean so this is decades later i mean it was obviously obviously still going on the varginha ufo incident which of course uh, a lot of you know is going to be the subject of a new documentary film coming out later this year from filmmaker james fox and i'm going to read some of this uh from wikipedia uh it says here, the Virginia UFO incident involves a series of events in 1996 when various citizens of Virginia, Brazil, reported seeing one or more strange creatures and at least one UFO. Stories in the media claim that one or more extraterrestrial beings were later captured by the Brazilian military. Such reports were first broadcast on the Sunday TV show Fantistico of of Rido Globo and garnered media coverage worldwide, including an article in the Wall Street Journal. It is one of the best-known cases in Brazilian ufology. The Brazilian government denied conspiracy theorists' claims that it was hiding evidence of extraterrestrials. Kevin D. Randall noted, uh, he's a UFO researcher who actually did a lot of work with uh, the Roswell incident. I actually read a book that he co-authored called The, the Truth Behind the UFO Crash in Roswell. And he also has a podcast of his own. Well, Kevin D. Randall noted that there is a lack of physical evidence supporting the case and adds, in fact, we have been unable to verify much of anything. Well, I, I think uh, for Kevin, you're going to find out pretty soon that there is a, a lot of evidence uh, with regard to this incident in Virginia, as James Fox uh, is very excited, as he's indicated in some recent interviews, that he has a lot of information, a lot of witnesses have stepped forward. 
uh, and just because uh, you know it was maybe at one point it was hard to get information, well, that's because the government of Brazil was covering this up. Because again, Brazil is obviously has their own little majestic twelve type operation. And they cover these things up, uh, just like the United States does, just like all these other countries do. Australia, for instance, the 1966 Westall incident, we talk about that. You know, a bunch of over 100 witnesses at a, at a, at a school in Australia, in Westall, Australia, see a flying saucer up close and personal, including science teacher. And then a science teacher is approached uh, a week or two later and told to shut up or, you know, he's going to lose his job, uh, basically threatened. And that's how these things work people get threatened uh over the years now whether that happens today i don't know probably maybe within the military itself if you're a member of the military and you see something like a crashed alien ship uh, i'm sure it's made very clear to you that if you try to say anything about this then uh, you're going to be in big trouble um so but anyway the Varginia case is another one there was a bunch of different witnesses and we're going to read i'm going to read some more of this uh uh, Wikipedia information here. It says, according to media reports, a creature was first sighted by three three women ranging from 14 to 22 years old. Sisters Li- Liliane and Valkara Fatima Silva and their friend Katia Andrada Xavier during intense rain and strong winds. They allegedly saw the creature in the afternoon of January 20th, 1996. A biped about 1.6 meters, 5 feet, with a large head and very thin body, with V-shaped feet, brown skin, and large red eyes. It seemed to be wobbly or unsteady, and the girls assumed it was injured or sick. The Silva sisters said that they fled and told their mother that they had seen the devil. The The woman did not believe them until she went to the area where they had allegedly seen the creature, smelled a strong ammonia-like odor, and found nothing but footprints and a dog sniffing the place. After the Silvas related their tale to family and friends, rumors began to spread throughout the city regarding UFO sightings and alien creatures being abducted by the military forces. Two days later, another creature was allegedly found lying along a road. Three military trucks were supposedly sent to retrieve it. A similar sighting was reported at the local zoo by its janitor. In the following months, three animals mysteriously died. Ufologist Roger Lear wrote a book, UFO Crash in Brazil, that included interviews from people who claimed two creatures were taken to a clinic before being moved by military personnel. Well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically where this leads to was that there was a cover-up. Uh, people were told to you know shut up about it there's nothing to it the military officials uh, told nothing to the press uh, and basically it was covered up that's because uh, just like in the United States other countries uh, like this they they cover these things up Um, you know in Brazil it's no different you know it's no different than in the United States or anywhere else for that matter um I mean, it's just it's. There's no question that they're in cahoots. There's no question that you know, uh, governments of the world have been in cahoots on this subject for for decades. It's it's obvious. It's painfully obvious. Um, I mean, even people like you know, you, you hear people like uh, Nick Pope a lot talking. Like he he was with the Ministry of Defense, you know, looking into UFOs uh, back in the oh, it is the 80s or 90s, something like that, or 80s and 90s. I don't know. I don't even think he, like he, he, if he knew anything, he would be talking about it. He doesn't know much. He really doesn't know much. He was just, 
happened to be part of this group that was something almost like a blue book as far as i'm concerned i mean so he i I don't think that he was he was in the know really at all if he was then he wouldn't be uh he wouldn't act like it's still so mysterious to him he would know uh, that there was most certainly something going on so he, he really has really nothing to offer to the table anymore as far as i'm concerned uh, I mean, he's an interesting guy. He's nice to see him on interviews and stuff talking about UFOs. But, I mean, uh, I, I believe that there's something deeper in countries like the United Kingdom uh, than, than than whatever Nick Pope was a part of as far as the Ministry of Defense was concerned. Uh, so, uh, what I'm the thing is, is that for decades now, you know, countries have worked together and there's most certainly, I mean, you're, and, and in fact, the, uh, the Dr. Fontes was saying in the 1950s that they have conferences, you know, annually where they meet very top secret conferences where officials from all different countries gather and talk about how they're dealing with this. Um, now, there was a case, a very interesting case uh, from 19, March of 1997 that occur, apparently occurred in Peru. And it involved a uh, Marine Corps Lance Corporal, Jonathan Wiegant. And this guy went on the record uh, about this in the early 2000s. And uh, basically, he was uh, stationed in Peru. Uh, they were there, I guess, as part of a, a, a project laser strike, which was basically supposed to be uh, trying to prevent uh, drug, drug trafficking uh, going out of the country. And... Uh, at one point, there was a crash of uh, there was an air crash, uh, aircraft crash, and he and and a couple other guys in his unit were uh, instructed to go and secure the area. But when he got there, it wasn't just some regular run of the mill aircraft. Aircraft. It was some kind of uh, um, spacecraft, right? And there were alien beings inside of it, and they were communicating with him telepathically. He his orders were to secure the area, but he went right up you know according to him uh he went right up to the, sh- the ship and was basically communicating with these alien beings in there via telepathy it was a very strange incident and he talked about this in a, in a long interview back in the early 2000s um and uh but then after it was all you know he it, uh these other guys showed up they're basically something like mercenaries uh not just from the united states but from peru and apparently some other countries right and they they you know, basically, he was taken taken away, and you know, said you know that he was you know uh, threatened and warned not to ever talk about this. You know, what were you doing there? Like, you shouldn't have got that close. Like, this group was apparently some sort of like a majestic twelve type international uh, uh, NATO version of an, uh, of uh, of majestic twelve, some sort of an alliance between different countries, different members of uh, of from different countries and he's taken away and then and then basically him and these other guys and they're you know basically threatened and warned not to ever talk about it he did talk about it anyway uh i I, i'm gonna play uh some of this interview that he did in the early 2000s about his experience in peru in 1997 i was transferred over to uh the the section for laser strike in february of 97 uh after going to weapons and tactics instructor uh uh, 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 197 in uh, Yuma, Arizona. When I got back, I was asked if I wanted to go, and I said sure. So I volunteered, and I was sent to the section. And we shipped out in May. Oh, excuse me, of March. Excuse me, of uh, that that uh, that year. We were sent there to uh, provide perimeter security to this radar installation. Basically, this radar station was tracking supposedly drug aircraft 
that were exiting in and out of Peru and Bolivian uh, airspace. Basically, what we were doing there, you know, we had live ammo and weapons. And uh, one day, uh, Sergeant uh, Allen and uh, and uh, uh, the other the other sergeant, and I'll remember his name soon, Sergeant Atkins. They were, and Sergeant uh, Montalegra, and he, he was uh, he was a staff sergeant, E seven. I mean, excuse me, E six. And the guys were E five sergeant, and uh, they they came to us and said, "Look, you know, we got we got a situation where we we have one an aircraft crash that's possibly friendly, and they need us to go and, and secure the crash site." And we're like, "Fine." So it, well, this is early. This is late at night. I know about eleven or twelve at night, and I was on guard duty that night, so I was already up, and it was my shift. We have twelve hour shifts: twelve on, twelve off. Where we where we rotate the, the, the our section, uh, so we all went out that night. We got up, I don't know, three or four in the morning and headed out in Humvees. We had about five or six Hummers and we drove to where we needed to go. And then we from there, you know, we had to hunt through the bush. So we got there. I don't know, six seven. Just just one daylight had just just started to get light. And uh, well, we found the area really easy because there was a there was a huge gash in the land where where something had crashed and it 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 didn't break anything you know you know i don't know if you've ever been to a crash site where you know you had you know trees you know just broken like like in half everything was burned and it was like like if you had almost cut like a, a warm butter with a knife i mean it was just it's like it's it's like something on fire or had entered or some kind of energy like a laser almost had had like gutted i mean it was really strange and Anyway, I was I was in the front with Sergeant Allen and Sergeant Atkins. We were up front, and we were we were point basically, and we were like I don't know 10, 20 meters ahead of everyone else. We had we all had maps and radios and compasses, so we knew so we wouldn't get lost. And basically, we were the first ones to see the object. And basically, what happened is we didn't go straight up the hill because basically this thing went up the hill and then off. Into the side of, 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 of the ravine of the ridge. This is about a 200 foot ridge, at least. Solid granite. I mean, I don't, it's rock. I don't know if it's granite. It's just, it was buried in, a, in, in the side of a cliff. But anyway, we didn't go straight up. We went to the, to the, to on to the left and walked up to the top of the ridge. And that's when we saw the craft. This is a huge ship. And, you know, I, I used to be into sci fi movies when I was a kid, but this is nothing like I'd ever seen. And when I first saw it, you know, I was scared. It scared the you know the heck out of me. You know, I didn't know what to do, and and it was just I was really it was really confusing. So we I went we all climbed down, and um, it was it was buried for about a forty five degree angle into the side of the uh, into the into the side of the the, the cliff there the, the the ridge, and uh, I mean this is a steep cliff. I mean it's straight up and down, and. Uh, it was dripping this syrup like uh, like syrup viscosity, this liquid. Uh, it was everywhere, all down, everywhere when we went down there because there was plants and everything. And it was it was weird. It was a, a, a purplish green color, and it was it was green, a greenish purple, and it kind of like like fluctuated. Like you couldn't really when you you'd look at it one time, then you look at it again, and it would like it's almost like it. I don't know if it was like alive and it was just changing. But every time you looked at it, you saw a different shade of, of greenish purple. It was strange. There was a, there was one light on it that slowly went around, and, it, and and the machine I could hear it. I could hear I guess because it was still functioning, 
and it had like a like a, a hum to it, like like a really bass. Like say if you unplugged an amp from a guitar, that kind of mm, you know it was really really you know it was really deep, and it kind of fluctuated, and then finally it just cut off, and everything just seemed to stop, except the colors and the shades, and it was still that way. Uh, when I was looking at the craft, it was buried, so I could see the back of it, and there were these large vents. Well, they look like vents, sort of like a fish gill on the back. I couldn't see around the other side, and I guess I'm assuming that it was the same way on the other side. That looked like I don't know that, that they could that could have been used for propulsion. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, again, this 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 liquid that had come out of the ship was it got on my camis, and you know it 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 discolored them and ate them almost like acid, and then it ate some of the skin off. Excuse me, the the hair off my arms. And it was, and I didn't know that until later on. But basically, when I was down there with the ship, there was three holes. And I guess I'd assume that they were hatches, but I, I, there's no way to tell. They were not flush with the, uh, with with the body, the main body of the craft. There, I don't know, a few inches below. I knew there was one on top because you could slightly see it. I don't know about the other side, but the, there was another hatch, the same same width and diameter or whatever of the top hatch and it was kind of crooked to the side and it was half open and I didn't see any lights or anything coming out of it but uh, I felt this presence that, it, that it's real strange I guess it was almost like I think the Cree I, I told Leslie this I thought the creatures were they calmed me and, and it was like weird and they were I think they were trying to communicate with me like I guess telepathically it's really weird and I don't believe in it in any of that stuff but anyway it was I could I could hear like, and it was terrible because it, it kept going and, and then it still comes and goes. It's like basically sitting in your car and turn on like an AM station. That's not that you know it's just white noise and just turning it up really high. And that's what I heard when I when I first got in there. Uh, this is pretty crude two dimensional drawing, but this is jungle here and this was the craft and it, it was embedded uh, in 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 the rock like this and I. I'm not sure if this tapered off or, or how it went, but uh, these right here are the hatches, these two objects here. This one was the one that was half open, and you could see into it, but I mean it was just black. It was like looking into a closet. 10 meters in width and about tw 20 meters in length. I'm just not sure. That's just an estimate from what I remember, but it was huge. I mean it was big, man, and it was shaped like almost like between an egg and like a teardrop almost. It was really, it looked really aerodynamic, at least in the shape, but the closer I, I was close enough to take out detail on it, but every, every, it was not just smooth, there was, there was, you know, there was bumps and, you know, notches and things in it. It was really organic. It was almost like art. I, that, that, that's really how you would, it didn't look like something that, that somebody made in a shop, you know. It didn't have that clunkiness or that, 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 that tin can, you know, kind of. Deal. It was more of a. It was more of art. I would. I would say. It looked to be that it was. It, it could have been handmade, but you know, out of what and what materials. I don't know. Definitely not nothing like nothing like titanium. It wasn't. It see. This is the whole thing. It looked metal, but it, it didn't. It didn't have any reflection on it, man. I mean, you know, the, the 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 sun's coming down, and if you got something made of metal, regardless of it. I mean, maybe if it's subdued with paint and it's got a cami sheen on it, you know, you're not going to see any reflection. But you know, I could see the different the different shades of the craft. They didn't shine. It, it just like it was. 
it didn't reflect anything. And and I guarantee if I if I threw like a, a flashlight on, it wouldn't have reflected it. Well, the creatures I think were calling me to help them. Everything was going to be all right. Then I was so mesmerized and into it, and you know. Sergeant Allen and Atkins, they're, they're hollering and they're cussing at me, you know, get the hell out of there. Why? Well, I, I think they, why they, I think that they were scared and they didn't want me to get hurt. I don't, I don't know. They were real pissed off at me after subsequently. But uh, basically what happened was uh, after we climbed back up, the, uh, the, the, I think the DOE, Department of Energy people were there. They knew about it. And I don't know why we went there still to this day. But anyway, I was arrested. Uh, I had all my gear taken from me by men in black camis, had no, no name tags. They, they were older men, probably in their third, late 30s or 40s. How long was I at the site? Uh, probably about 15, 20 minutes. We were the first people on the, on the, on the position, yeah. And then shortly you said there were other people? Right, uh, there were other people. I guess they were government, I don't know. They were there and they had containment suits and they, they had guys, they, they had a position that, that, that was that looked like I don't know if it was already there or there was some gap in the jungle where they landed two CH forty seven Chinooks. There are army uh, uh, twin rotor uh, you know, helicopters and they're big and they had guys coming out in these containment suits. They must have just got there. I don't know while we were down in the gorge because when we climbed up there, those guys were and that well there were the the guys in the black camis, and then they took me. They put me on a cot. That they had, and they had me uh, cuffed with those. Uh, they had me cuffed both hands down, and then they had my uh, my, my my legs tied together with those those uh, plastic fasteners that the police use. I mean, you know, they're like kind of like cuffs. And then they took me in the siege forty seven, and they 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 sent me to. We we took off, and and uh, and uh, they they didn't drug me or anything like that, and I was just awake there and. No, no, they said that, you know, that, 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 that I was, they were cussing at me, saying that I was a dumb asshole. And that, why don't you, why don't you people ever, you know, pay attention to orders and you weren't supposed to be there and you're not supposed to see this and, you, you know, you're, you're going to be dangerous if we let you go and all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, I thought, was gonna, I thought they were going to kill me for about two days, I think. And uh, they had a, a, a lieutenant colonel from the Air Force and he did not I, identify himself. He might have, I just don't remember. And he told me, you know, you know, uh, you know, if we just uh, took you out in the jungle, you know, they'd never find you out there. And I'm like, well, and you know, I, I didn't want to say, you know, you know, I didn't want to test him to see if you'd really do that. So I said, yeah. And he's like, you got to sign these papers, and you never saw this, and I don't exist, and this situation never happened. And if you tell anybody, uh, you know, you'll, you'll just come up missing and. And he was a real abrasive, just 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 a uh, cynical uh, asshole, I guess is the best way to put it. It was I was at the same installation, but they had me segregated with Air Force personnel for like three weeks, and then after that, I was sent back, approximately. All I saw there was Americans, and there's a lot of other nationalities there. Chinese, Germans, I think, were there. I mean, a lot of other people were at this other base. But I mean, this thing—it was really. It, I mean, I didn't go in, and all they did was take me to like a, a like a. You couldn't call it a cell. It was more of like a. It was more like an interrogation room, and I sat in there for I don't know, 15 hours. Those guys with the with with a light. I mean, they put this light in my face, and they were yelling at me. 
and I couldn't really readily identify any of these guys, but I knew I knew that I knew one of them was at the at the crash site because they were one of the guys that I recognized because he was in uh, black fatigues and he was like, "What'd you see?" And he's like, "Yeah," he's like, "Ground." Mm. You know, he goes, "Are you a patriot? You like the Constitution?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, we don't. We do what you know. We're on our own program. You know, we don't obey. We just do what we want." And he's like, "Yeah." And they're like, mm, and they're growling and they're relishing, you know, and they're yelling at me and they're they're hollering and cursing and you didn't see anything, you know, and we'll do you and your whole goddamn family. And they're they're you know it was it was basically that for about eight or nine hours. I mean, they took breaks. They were like, "Look, man, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna just." We're gonna take you off in a helicopter and just kick your ass out, out in, out in the jungle, and you're just gonna, you're, you know, we're gonna end you and all this. And they didn't physically, they didn't physically put their hands on me, but I was sitting in a chair and I was handcuffed to the chair and I couldn't move. So basically, you know, it was just a, this, this like harassment. I, I didn't eat anything for like a whole day, no water, no nothing. I just sat there. Uh, my section was about eight, eight to ten guys. And they all saw it. No, uh, no, just me, Sergeant Allen, and Sergeant Atkins. We're the only ones that saw it. Now they saw the crash, and well, at least you know the the, the jungle where where it came through. They saw all that, but they didn't go into the ridge because, like I said, we were ten to twenty meters in front of them, and they radioed to you know to haul that we found, and everything's fine. It was in it was in late March, early April of '97. So we're talking like when I got back, you know, I approached Sergeant Allen about it because, of course, he's married and he's got like a, one or two kids. And, I went to his house on the on base housing, and he got all upset and threw me out of his house. Said he didn't want to talk about it, and I mean they scared. I guess they scared those guys too, man. And see, I mean you got to understand. You know, I can't speak for the rest of the armed service, but the Marine Corps, everything's it's you know it's monolithic. And uh, when they're told to do something, they're gonna they're gonna do it. And and if you don't want to go along, they'll just they'll 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 basically railroad you. I didn't want to keep my mouth shut about it. And I told my first sergeant, uh, first sergeant Powell, I told him about it. And I don't even know if he, I don't think he's still there anymore. I mean, we're talking three years ago. So, uh, yeah, so it was life forms in the ship. I, and I could, they were, it's almost like uh, if someone was like reading your mind. And that's the way it felt. And I felt like, uh, I felt a presence. It was like supernatural. You know, it was no debris that I saw, but there were big gashes in the, in the, in the, in the rear of the of the aircraft and I, what I looked what it looked like is that it had been hit with maybe a serviced air missile uh, there were a couple Hawk batteries and that's a homing all the way killer that's a low to medium uh, air, uh, surfaced air any any aircraft missile and basically it doesn't have to hit the target in order to destroy the target what it does is it gets in proximity of it and it, it has a high explosive fragmentation warhead and it basically explodes like a big shotgun in the vicinity of the of the of the, uh, the, the targeted uh, area, and it, and by fragmentation, it's supposed to destroy the target or or or, end, or damage it so it won't be able to continue its mission. So it, I think we shot it down. This is what I think happened: is we shot it down. The Peruvian shot it down. The other guys knew it was flying. I knew that these these aircraft were flying. Because I had been in the command center there at the radar installation, and 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 I heard a couple women there in the Air Force talking about aircraft uh, flying in and out of the atmosphere at Mach 10 plus. So these aircraft are flying around there. You know they're you know they're re-entering the atmosphere and whatever. And you know I believe that the higher ups knew it was flying in the area.
And these were these large vents. They looked like they went into the craft, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell. But, it, I mean, it was a shadow. That was the only thing that really cast a shadow. The rest of this, well, there was another thing, was these vents cast a shadow where you could see where there wasn't light, but the, the sun was shining right on the object, and it didn't cast a shadow not on, on anything. And it was like kind of like absorbing the light. It was weird. This is not one of ours, because, you know, I'm... You know, in Stinger School, they teach you about all different kinds of aircraft and stuff like that. And I knew I knew a lot of aircraft anyway because I I like I like reading about aircraft and data and that stuff. And uh, well, essentially, when I saw it, I'm like, man, this is not this is nothing that I knew of. Okay, basically, the radar was was sitting, and this was again on a hill. It's cammed up, and you know, it rotates and everything. And there's a command bunker that was built under the under the under the earth. And I mean, it looks like Star Wars in there, and I mean, it's it's total air conditioned. I mean, it's really nice. And there's like computers, and they got the the uh, the you know the control panels and everything that control the radars. And they're I guess they're linked to other sites, you know, and they get other data coming in. And well, we had guard duty, and I, I and the night that this happened, this was in the early evening, and it was my shift, and I was in there, and I was checking people going in and out. You know, they got ID, you know, checking out whatever. So, like, these two girls, they come walking out, and they're talking about, well, we got these aircraft flying again, and, and the other girl says, yeah, you know, they're coming in and out of the atmosphere. But, but he came in there, and he told me to come back with them, and we go back there, and, and he goes, I want the logs, because they log all these flights coming in, you know, they're bearing what they are, what code they're squawking, all that. So he gets the books, and I had to sign off for him to take all that. I mean, when you got when you got objects that are re-entering the atmosphere and then stopping on a dime and then turning around and going exactly the opposite direction, you know, that's kind of strange. Meteors don't do that. Now, is this something that was rare or something that was happening? Oh, this, this happened all the time. There was like three or four incidents where I was duty there that the same, uh, the same Air Force officer came in there to get books. And do you think these were tracked on? Radars yeah, the, 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 these were tracked from this particular radar that were logged in. The reason, I, I guess the reason they were taking them is they didn't want people to know that they're tracking these aircraft. I guess, I, I mean, again, this, I'm just assuming that. So, uh, yeah, I think they knew it was coming in, and they said, we can't identify it. It's violating airspace. So they could have radioed the Peruvian and said, take them out, and then they shot it down. I was confident that when I saw the the aircraft, it had been hit by something, something that had that had took it out. They were scared, and it was the the apprehension, the fear, and then that they that they, that they were not here to harm us. That's really what what it felt like. And I mean, that's not that's not my own emotions. I've seen the creatures in my in my thoughts, and uh, I've seen I've and I, I saw them what they look like: oval egg head with big dark eyes, big eyes, uh, a nose and a small mouth, no ears. They were projecting that they weren't here. They were here. They were here to. They weren't here. You know, they were not going to harm me. And that was basically that everything was going to be all right. Just help me get. Just help us get out of here. I think there was. I don't. I don't. I don't know how many were on the craft. You had to sense more than one. Yeah, definitely more than one. Probably about four or five. Did I think it was organic and alive? Yeah, yeah. I think that. Uh, I think. Uh, that, that, that whole craft, it's kind of like, it's almost like if you had an extension like your arm or your leg. And I think the way they can, I mean, this is just from thinking about it, that 
that the way they control the craft is with their thoughts, and they have no, no buttons or anything they push. It's not from Earth. Oh. I mean, I knew that when I looked at it, you know. I mean, I'm not doing this to make money or, or publicity or anything, but I, I think it needs to be told, and I think people need to hear it. Whether they agree with me or not is, is of no consequence. Their cover was there to track, uh, to track drug aircraft. I, I think, I, I don't know, but from what I understand, that they were doing a whole lot more than just tracking drug aircraft. I mean, they had um, laser range finders and all kinds of high-tech stuff that I've never seen before. I couldn't really explain. I know that there was a couple of LRFs there. I don't know what they were, uh, LRF laser range finder. I don't know what they had those do there, but they were huge, man. Look like big telescopes, but they had them in a bunker, and they were, it was able to rise up, and they can zoom around. And I saw them doing. That. I mean, just a bunch of weird stuff. And then, not even that, we had like a live fire shoot in the jungle, and there was Green Berets, Army Airborne. I mean, a bunch of these Spec Ops guys, uh, Delta Force there. You know, the murderers at Waco were there. You know, so you know all these, you know all these guys out there. I mean, the Chinese Chinese are there. You know, they're out there training, man, and we're they're training the Peruvians, too, so it's weird, man, weird situation. Oh, this is definitely something like NATO or some multi uh, multinational deal. And what I, I keep, you know, I keep going back and really thinking about that. Why are all these guys here, you know? Why would the Chinese be concerned with drugs being smuggled or, you know, or, or any kind of drug paraphernalia being smuggled into the States? I mean, there. I mean, there's, there's. I mean, but the fact. Uh, do I think that 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 this this command center? I think it was permanent. I think it's been in operation for a while. They had the big D, you know, Delta Oscar Echo on, on the back of their back of a couple. Of the guys were wearing like these uh these rain jackets because it had been raining the fall the previous day, and they were in there. And there were other guys that were wearing containment like biological suits. It wasn't like that. It was more high tech, like those big jumpsuits that you zip up the back and you can, like, wear a breathing apparatus in there. Those guys, there was about thirty of them at least, and they marched right by me as I was as I was being taken away. They were marching to get down into the cliff. I guess they were in there to check this thing out. What do I think happened? I think they went in there and they took everything out and they shipped it back home. I think. The behavior of the people, yeah, it was definitely, it was. this is routine, man. I mean, these guys are squared away. They know exactly what they're doing. They've been trained to do this stuff before. That was the atmosphere, the total professional, cold, uh, unassuming uh, nature. You know, it's just, you know, we're here to do a job and, you know, get the fuck out of our ways is basically the, the attitude. I was raised in a Christian home to believe that there was a God and that he created everything, you know, the universe and here they are, these these creatures that I've never seen before, never come in contact with, and this happens, man, and it just it made me get almost crazy, you know, not like suicidal, but I, I just couldn't, I had to like reevaluate everything that I knew. It's sort of like when you're a kid, you know, you've been told Santa Claus is 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 you know real, and then you find out that he's really not, and the tooth fairy, you know, it's like now that you know, there's no going back. There's like no. There's no denial. There's no saying, well, you know, this is, you know, I didn't really see this, and, and I couldn't really deal with it. You know, it was that, is that what do I do? You know, do I tell people? But Yes. See, now that's very interesting stuff. Um, I mean, it just goes to prove that this kind of thing, you know, all governments, all world, a lot of world governments seem to be in cahoots. There's no question about it. They're working together on keeping this thing secret for a long time now, for decades. And it's, it goes on today. Now you have to wonder now sometimes there's there are certain cases uh, the one that comes to mind the one that I talk about a lot on this uh, podcast 
is the Ariel School incident uh, from 1994. Now you wonder, maybe the agreements with uh, for with countries like South Africa are are different, or maybe some countries are a little bit lax, you know, in in uh, enforcing the cover-ups of, of of things like this, because obviously. Uh, it doesn't seem like anybody came in there and told those kids to shut up, uh, like is the case in other places in other countries where, where when incidents like this would happen. Could you imagine now, say the Ariel school incident happened here somewhere in the United States, I would imagine there would have been uh, some threats issued to uh, anybody involved, to the teachers and everyone else, and the kids were, would, the, the whole thing would have been covered up for sure, for sure, but not in South Africa, you know. Zimbabwe obviously wasn't concerned about it too much, or because uh, I don't, I don't remember reading anything about anyone trying to cover that uh, situation up. The only thing we, uh, only thing anybody tried, anybody tried to do was uh, they tried to explain it, try to debunk it away. But it's really hard too. You really can't debunk something like this when you have that many witnesses. Um, uh, and and there's other things. I I think the like for instance in Turkey, it doesn't seem like there's. Uh, it's really clamped down that much you know certain countries it just doesn't you know for instance i mean you you would imagine okay uh for instance in the 2007 2008 and 2009 videos uh that were captured by uh fishermen who filmed a ufo hovering over the black sea on multiple occasions uh d- during those years uh if that would have happened here in, in the united states for instance i don't think that those videos would have seen the light of day uh i, I think there would have been uh, most certainly. In fact, it does happen. I mean, I, I remember hearing uh, when uh, in the early 2000s, I believe it was 2004, 2002, 2004, the Stephenville, Texas, a whole bunch of people saw things out there. And there was one guy who saw something, a gigantic object hovering above him above, in a forest. And, you know, he looked up the whole thing. I mean, it covered the whole sky. He couldn't even see the sky. It was so gigantic. He could, and he was basically t- uh, told by people, by members of the military, not to say anything about this. So, it, you know, people, the military doesn't want people to know about this. The, I mean, uh, the mil- a lot of members of the military themselves, even, you know, people in the high uh, upper echelons of the United States military don't exactly know, but they are given instructions to uh, uh, debunk these kind of things, uh, put them under the carpet. They don't want this word getting out. And it's like this in a lot of countries. And there's obviously agreements between lots of different countries uh, uh, in order to keep this secret. For United, for instance, the United States most certainly has agreements with with the United Kingdom, with with Canada. I mean, these agreements, apparently, these uh, uh, top secret discussions, according to this Dr. Fontes, started sometime in the 50s. I am certain that they probably still have them occasionally. Um, and I think the, gov- the United States government is, is the lead on this. Now, as far as some other countries, like enemy countries uh like uh, of the united states like russia china like these kind of countries i'm not sure if they have i mean who knows i mean they might there might be uh, agreements between them they 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 may have agreements about this uh they may have talked about this secretly amongst them i I don't i don't know about those countries but regardless those countries too i'm sure have top secret policies to keep these things covered up uh, or, or they would be talking about them. They would have, you know, oh, who's going to be the first one to come out and just tell the world the truth? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's going to be in the United States. Uh, but, you know, if, if it happens in another country, it could always just be, you know, other countries will say, well, that country's lying. Uh, but if you have a bigger country like, you know, like the United States come forward finally 
it, you know, and and present all the evidence that it has, then it becomes undeniable. But uh, again, I, I like to know what the kind, what the agreement, what is is, is it even on paper, or is it uh, uh, these agreements, the agreement between the other countries, uh, is it even on paper? Uh, you know, probably not. Or if it is, it's you know, copy of one of one. But uh, yeah, there are most certainly uh, agreements, and they're all in cahoots with each other. And there are most certainly agreements between different countries to keep this away from the public because they think the people in the public wouldn't be able to handle this, and they still don't. Um, they still don't. Think, if they did, they would tell the truth already. But obviously, they're they're not doing that. They're we're getting some piecemeal stuff right now uh, from the United States and from some other countries, but uh, they're not telling the truth about this. They're not coming out. They just think everyone basically and too, too many people in the public are, are morons and would go go ape over this, and so they keep it quiet. And uh, yeah, basically, they think you're a dummy. The governments of the world think you're dummy and you can't handle it. Their brains are, the, the people who are sitting on inf- in, in, this information, their brains are much more developed uh, and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and superior to your brain. That's basically what they're saying to you.